Hello again, friends. Welcome to the Bible Project Daily Podcast and our journey together through the entire Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. You join us in this season where we're working together through the Gospel of Mark, part of our journey through the entire Bible. If you're here for the first time, then why not click and subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcasts from. That way, you need never miss another single episode. That way, you too can make the decision to make the study of the Word of God part of the rhythm of your daily life. It's so great to have you here with me today as we close off Mark chapter 10. But if you are here for the first day, do hang around at the end and I'll tell you lots of ways you can connect with this ministry and receive other great free Bible teaching resources. So with that said, we'll pick up in the main text where we left off yesterday, and I do hope I'll see you at the other end. Bye for now. People tell me that if you're unfortunate enough to lose some or even all of your vision, that your other senses become more finely tuned. You're able to access perceptions and insights by being more attuned in these other sensory areas. Now in the New Testament, there's a story of a blind man who appears to have a particularly heightened insight when it comes to understanding other people and who they are. It seems that even though he was blind, he could see things that others couldn't. And I would like today to look at the story and see if we ourselves really have the vision as clear as this blind man. The story on the surface is a rather simple one, but in considering the story a little more closely, we shall see, I hope, that there are some powerful truths therein. And the story begins with Jesus in Jericho. And at first verse tells us, chapter 10, verse 46, that they came to Jericho and as Jesus and his disciples together with a large crowd who were leaving the city, then a blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. So Jesus and the disciples are passing through Jericho on their way to Jerusalem, which is about 16 miles away up a hill by the way. They've been traveling from a point just above sea level by the Jordan River to eventually reach Jerusalem, which is in fact 2,600 feet above sea level. Now the city of Jericho at that time is interesting in this context because it was the home to about 20,000 priests. You've heard me right, 20,000. You see, the Hasmoneans, who were the inhabitants of Jericho at that time, were a dynasty descended directly from a priestly class and considered every one of their adult males to be a member of that priestly class. Now, these events are taking place just before Passover, so all of these priests, you see, would be needed at Jerusalem. So it's likely when Jesus and his disciples arrive at Jericho, most of the population would have departed or would be departing and on their way to Jerusalem. So they are, in a sense, joining along with thousands of other pilgrims all on their way to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. We are then told that as Jesus and his disciples are leaving Jericho with these crowds, a blind man, well, he appears or he's at the side of the road. The next verse tells us, when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. So this guy Bartimaeus hears that Jesus is passing through, 
But look carefully at what he says. He calls out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. So it seems that this blind man has perfect spiritual sight, spiritual vision. And in a way, it seems that compared to most of the people we've seen so far in the Gospel of Mark, it appears that most people were not able to see Jesus as clearly as this man sees him. Here is a blind man who sees very clearly who Jesus is. He doesn't call him Jesus of Nazareth. He calls him the son of David. So this blind man had spiritual vision clearly. He could see that Jesus was in fact the Messiah. And if he was the Messiah, then that he would have power and no doubt would have power enough to heal him, even a blind man. I think it's appropriate at this point to just pause for a moment and talk about spiritual blindness and compare it and contrast it to spiritual vision, spiritual insight. You see, the Bible itself teaches us that we're all born spiritually bound. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, it says, The God of this age has blinded the mind of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. That's 2 Corinthians 4 verse 4, by the way. Spiritually blind people can look straight at Jesus Christ and they won't see who he is. Actually, as an aside, did you know there's a group in America called Atheists for Jesus? Let me just read from an article on their website. The writer writes, There are currently two vastly different visions of Christianity being practiced in the United States. The first group believes that the way to get to heaven is through a belief in the sacrificial death and supposed resurrection of Jesus Christ. But we don't see it that way. The second group believes that the proper path is defined by the admonition to love your neighbor as yourself. He then goes on to say, and rather arrogantly put themselves, divide Christianity into two and put themselves into one group and everyone else into the other. He says, when I say that we are atheists for Jesus, what we do not mean to imply is that in any way we've been converted to Christianity or even believe that Jesus is the son of God. What we mean is that we have come to have a great deal of respect for the teachings of Jesus and our respect for Jesus is based not on the cross, not on his death and his supposed resurrection, but solely on his teachings. So there I would suggest we have a perfect example of people who look straight at Jesus, even study what he says, but remain spiritually blind. This man looks at Jesus and doesn't see him as anything other than a wise moral teacher. That's a clear example of spiritual blindness. However, there's an even deeper level of blindness that some people suffer for. There are some people who look right at Jesus and immediately see him as the Son of God. They can see he died in the cross for the sins of the world. They may even believe that he rose from the dead. Yet they are spiritually blind when it comes to understanding what it means for them to believe in that. You see, they believe lots of true and good things about Jesus, but they don't add the main thing that it is that you've got to believe in those things solely in order to gain heaven. They will believe and preach and teach that you actually need to get to heaven by joining a particular church. Or a popular one is that you have to be seen to act religious all the time. You've just got to try and do all the religious stuff, let God keep the score, and if you score high enough, then maybe you'll make it to heaven. 
I've never myself quite understood how that scoring system works. Some people keep score by comparing themselves to others. However, in my view, when people do that, they set the bar way too low. Actually, someone once said to me, Well, I think I'm okay with God. At least I'm not a murderer. I've never killed anybody. Wow, I thought, is that the standard for being a Christian now? Some people think, maybe I'm alright with God, simply because there are other people out there who are worse than me. Well, this case, this blind man, even he could see that Jesus was more than just a son of Nazareth. He saw that he was the son of David, the Messiah, and because of that he cried out, Son of David, have mercy on me. Then, a very interesting thing happens. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. So the crowd tell him to shut up, but the man we see just shouts all the more. And at this point in the story, the text tells us what Jesus does. Mark ten forty nine. Jesus stopped and said, Call him. So they called the blind man. Cheer up on your feet, he's calling you, they said. So this is an interesting turn of events. In verse 48, the crowd are telling him to shut up. And then in the very next verse, the crowd say, On your feet, he's calling you. One minute the crowd is rebuking this guy. The next minute they are encouraging him to do the very thing they've just told him off for doing. The text continues, 50 and 51. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. Then Jesus said to him, What do you want from me? And he replied, Teacher, I want to see. Think about that for a moment. In fact, I would like you to think for a moment about anything that's particularly challenging or troubling you right now. I want you to think about it for a moment because what we see here is the God of the universe, the one who, through whom all things were created and uphold, says this to us. What do you want me to do for you? Wow. Do you think Jesus already knew what these man's needs were? Do you think he already knows what your needs are when he asks? And he asks him, what do you want me to do for you? Of course he knew what he needed. In fact, everybody knew what this particular man needed. Yet he still chose to say to him, what do you want me to do for you? I wonder if you've ever heard the verse in the Bible that says that we do not have because we do not ask. That's in James chapter 4. God here and there is trying to teach us that we've not only got to trust in him, but we've got to ask. We've got to ask for his help and his intervention. So again, I'll say it. He asks the man, the man what do you want from me? And the blind man will reply, quick as a flash, I want to see. Teacher, I want to see. And then Jesus says in the next verse, verse 52, Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. Right, that's the first insight I want you to see today. The man not only had faith in who Jesus was and also in the fact that he had the ability to heal him and make him well, that's really important. But as I pointed out at the beginning of our time today, that everyone is born spiritually blind. We all have spiritual problems that need solving, just as urgent as any physical problem that we feel might need solving. The blind man's physical problem was dealt with by faith. He knew not only who Jesus was, but he also trusted in him, and he was healed physically. 
And when we too see who Jesus truly is and when we too truly trust in him, we too are healed. And the ultimate thing we're healed from, the main thing we're healed from, the first thing we're healed from is that spiritual blindness that we all have. But there's a lot more going on here than just this miraculous physical healing and what it represents. I've looked at this text several times before in my life, but as I prepared the message this time, something new struck me. There's a sort of second insight that this blind man has. Look at the last part of the closing verse. It says, immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. So not only did the man have faith and act upon it, but immediately afterwards he chose to follow Jesus. Here's this blind guy who finally has his sight restored. He could have gone out and got a job. He could now work. He no longer had to be dependent on others, but he chose to follow Jesus. Clearly, he followed him physically on this occasion, but I'm sure it also refers to the fact that he now followed him spiritually. Okay, let's look at this final verse again, but this time I'm going to quote it from the King James Version. It says, Then Jesus said to him, Go in your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus on the road. So Jesus actually said to him to go on your way, go his own way, but he chose to instead follow him. So the man decided that his way was now the Lord's way. And that's the second insight that I grasped hold of here, and I hope you can see it. Has your way become the Lord's way? In this case, it clearly did. You know, I believe the point of this story at one level is rather straightforward. Here's a blind man who has spiritual insight into who Jesus actually was. He wouldn't let the crowd stop him because he had faith, and the Lord would heal him because of that faith. And when he was healed, he didn't just stop there. He made a response to what the Lord had done for him, and he chose to follow the Lord thereafter. And that's why his way became God's way. And I began this morning by asking you and I if we can see as clearly as a blind man, this blind man. For that matter, we could ask, do we hear as well as some of the deaf people we encounter in Scripture? Many of us, I would suggest, don't. I hope that you have had an eye-opening experience this morning. This man had had his eyes opened. His spiritual eyes were already opened. He saw who Jesus was, but Jesus opened his eyes physically, and with deep gratitude, he chose thereafter to follow the Lord. So let me ask you a question. Are you thankful for what the Lord has done for you in your life? And if you are, then what does that thankfulness prompt you to do? If you are grateful, if you are thankful, what should you do? Well, didn't your mother to tell you to say thank you when someone did something for you? Well, then say it to the Lord. But you know what? If you're really thankful, maybe it should not be about just saying thank you, saying something. Maybe it should also mean doing something as well. Praise and give thanks to the Lord for all he has done. But if you stop there, then maybe you too have a limited spiritual vision. Even this blind man saw enough to see that because of what the Lord had done for him, he should follow him from that point forward. And thereafter, his way became the Lord's way. Paul, writing in this subject, tells us in the 12th chapter of Romans, I beseech you therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as, as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. When we are thankful, Paul here suggests that we should offer our lives as a sacrifice, a living sacrifice, 
and as someone once pointed out, a living sacrifice at any time could choose to remove themselves from the altar. So it's done in free will. You know, it takes spiritual vision to say Jesus is Lord, and it takes an even clearer spiritual vision to recognise what the Lord has done for you in your life and say thank you. But it takes the deepest spiritual vision of all to make the decision, the free will decision to say it is no longer my way, but God's way. Paul here is reminding us that if we have been recipients of God's grace and mercy, we really ought to do something with that. And doing something with that means presenting ourselves, our lives, as a life obedient to him and thinking like he does. And that is the spiritual vision of the blind man. I wonder if we can see as clearly as he saw things that day. Let me ask every one of you listening to this today a final question. Are you thankful for what the Lord has done in your life? Well then, what are you going to do about it? In October 1942, Captain Eddie Rickenbacker was on a mission in his B-17 aircraft with instructions to deliver an important message to General Douglas MacArthur, the Chief of Staff of the U.S. Army. This was during World War II, and some flying his plane somewhere over the South Pacific, it was a flying fortress by the way, they lost radar contact with the aircraft carrier and they became lost. The plane ran out of fuel and had to ditch in the Pacific Ocean. And for nearly a month, Rickenbacker and his crew fought against weather, lack of water and poor weather conditions. Their raft they were floating on was just nine feet by five, and for many nights it was continually bumped by circling sharks. Their small rations only lasted a few days, and they soon came to realise that the most threatening of all threats to them was starvation. It seemed to them after a week or so that only a miracle would enable them to be sustained. But according to Rickenbacker, a miracle occurred. In Rickenbacker's own words, he said, We did what we always did. We had our little daily service. One afternoon we read a scripture, we prayed a prayer, and we asked for deliverance. And then as best we could, we sang a hymn of praise. Then, in the glare of the sun, with my hat pulled down over my eyes, I dozed off. As I dozed, I felt something land on my head. I knew it was a seagull. Everybody looked at it, and no one said a word. They were all staring at me wide-eyed, looking at me with the seagull perched on my hat. Looking at me, knowing that that seagull meant a little food, if only they could catch it. I lifted my weary hand up slowly and caught the seagull, who seemed completely uninterested in flying away. He didn't even attempt to fly away to struggle, but it was almost as if he willingly offered himself as a sacrifice. But you see, that seagull became much more than a quick meal. Its flesh was eaten, but its internals were used as bait, and they began to catch fish every day. They were still over a hundred miles from land, but that one bird not only sustained them, but it really gave them hope, and indeed they were eventually rescued 21 days later. Rickenbacker retired to the Florida coast, and ever since that event, which occurred in 1942, for over 30 years after, every evening he went down to the beach and he fed a bucket of shrimps to the seagulls. Paul Harvey, in his biography of Rickenbacker, said, It was the gratitude that prompted that old man to visit the old broken pier and feed the seagulls every night until he died, in fact, in 1973. 
The seagulls came to recognize him and would flock around every night and he would feed them. But also everyone in the town knew why he did it. He did it to testify to the miracle that God brought about on that day 30 years earlier and how he believed that seagull marked a sacrifice that was made that would in fact bring about their deliverance and eventual rescue. Okay, my friends, that's it for today. I hope that you've gained fresh vision, a fresh spiritual insight to your position on your journey with the Lord. You've been listening to the Bible Project Daily Podcast, and my name is Jeremy McCandless. You can subscribe to this podcast on all the main podcast platforms, whatever your favorite place for getting podcasts is. But it's worth noting that it's hosted on the bibleproject.buzzsprout.com and that's the place where you'll find additional resources. There's always a complete episode notes page for every episode as well as a full transcript of everything I've said. That's available for you to use in whatever way you find helpful. And you'll also find links to other places like the social media account or the archive on YouTube and even my LinkedIn page, where I tend to put more sort of formal, structured discipleship type courses. There's also even a link to Patreon. That's the community, the small community of people who've made the decision to support this ministry and enable it to remain free in all the places that I'm able to put it. And by the way, as a way of thank you, that's the place also where I post some bonus episodes. Just things that don't quite fit within the main ministry of the Bible Project, but also if there's a if I'm preaching somewhere and recording, or even those occasions when I speak or prepare to speak at secular events. Just as a little way of thank you, I tend to put bonus episodes there. But with that all said, the big thank you goes to each and every one of you who have decided to join with me today. I'm so thrilled to know that this podcast has been listened to in 184 countries around the world now. And I'm grateful to God and to each and every one of you who have made a decision to join me on this journey. And if you are benefiting from it, why not like it or put a a link to it on your social media so other people can be given the opportunity to make the decision to make the study of the Bible part of the rhythm of their daily lives also. Maybe even think about leaving a review wherever you download it from. But having said all that, the main thing is just thank you for being here. I'm so blessed by knowing that there's so many of you out there who've made the decision to journey with me in this way. And with that all said, I'll just say bye-bye for now. And I'll see you back here tomorrow, I trust, on the Bible Project Daily Podcast. Bye-bye for now.